Hi, I'm Billy Shore. This is Add Passion and Stir. We're in Washington, D.C. today, and we've got three guests instead of our usual two, and um, I'm really thrilled that you were all here. David Simpson is the founder of an organization called AOK, All Our Kids. We're going to talk about that, David, and how you came to found it in uh, just a few minutes, but thank you for being with us. Oh, I'm glad to be here. Thanks uh, for having me. And one of your guests is a young woman named Taruk. I can't, I don't know, are you a kid? All our kids? You're not a kid. You're 23. You're a 23-year-old woman, right? So yes. I can't call you a kid, even though the organization's called All Our Kids. I mean, the reason why I would say I am a kid is because um, uh, in this organization or the family, they allow us to have the child childhood that we've never had. Um, and, um, yeah, so I would call myself a kid. Good. Well, I'm, I'm 62, and I think of myself as a kid. That's how, why yeah. I got on a bike and rode 300 miles. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and Ashley Koff, registered dietitian, author of a couple books, uh, somebody who also is... Also a kid. Also a yeah. kid. Uh, that's all we need to know. So, <laughs> right. And you recently moved to D.C. from Los Angeles. From Los Angeles. not So I'm starting to feel like a little bit like this is home, but it was about three and a half years ago, so I still I still have a lot of L.A. in me. Well, we're glad to hear. Yeah. Uh, glad to have you here. Thank and, you. And uh, I know that you have a passion for food and for fitness and for health and how food can fuel a healthy lifestyle, which mm-hmm. is something that Share Our Strength and the No Kid Hungry campaign is all about um, and something that I know is uh, pretty central to all our kids because a lot of what you do is built around mealtime. Yes, and one of the things that we've discovered that unites people is food. And I think saying something that's pretty obvious, but um, for us, it's been a really core organizing principle. We have a regular gathering at our house Mm -hmm. that we call Thursday Night Dinner, and it's usually around 25 people. Um, A lot of the kids are young people kids slash young people and and people adults who are in the in our community and this started when thursday night dinner. <clears throat> thursday night dinner Thurs, thursday night as, dinner preceded all, all our kids or yeah, how, how did it work yes i mean we've been well there's thursday night dinner and the other 20 meals also that we've been you know providing food healthy food for kids for a long for severally for since james was in he's the f- real first aok kid since he was in seventh grade and he's 20 now mm-hmm. Um, so for a long time, our house has always been full of kids, but it became Thursday night dinner because my wife, Kathy, who's a co-founder of AOK, um, used, travels quite a bit for her, for her real job. Um, and we just made a commitment that she would be home. She would finish her traveling early in the week. So she'd be home for Thursday night, Thursday nights. And we just, that was the night where, when you could come to her house and count on a home cooked meal. So it started that way as just a sort of a scheduling demand. But how did it actually start that young people started to come to your house? Well, <laughs> you started to invite them or like how did it happen? Well, there are a couple of factors, but right? w- one thing is my, Kathy's one of nine kids. So I, my theory is she's just been trying to recreate her childhood dining room table for her whole life. And uh, it, as a result, our house has been full of kids for as long as I can remember. Uh, and our son Santiago inherited a social justice gene from her, Kathy and uh, starting like in seventh middle school, seventh eighth grade, he started inviting kids home who didn't have enough food in their house. James classmates James of his James, or yeah. kids from the neighborhood. Kids he knew from school, kids mm-hmm. in the neighborhood, and then as he became more and more involved in the young art scene here in D.C., which is a very vibrant youth art scene, um, artists from all parts of the city, you know, who are struggling and in need of some sort of support, uh, he would invite over to to meet with us, and and they became part of the family. So it grew through word of mouth. It's, you know, all these kids communicating with each other that there's a safe place that they can come, get get 
healthy food, Wi-Fi, a shower, laundry, you know, whatever, the help with homework or job applications, whatever. And that's that's kind of how the ball got rolling. And when they're not at your house, how how are most of the kids living? Are they uh, with, they have moms and dads, single parent homes, grandparents, or neighbors on the street? What's like, why do they need what you're offering? Well, yes, yes, and yes. I mean, all the, there's a, a complete variety of living situations. Um, six kids currently live with us. Um, we don't have any more horizontal spaces, so we're kind of tapped out in terms of that. But um, and there are an, another twenty kids who have a variety, either living on their own. There are a couple of kids who live on their own with roommates and are have solid housing situations, or with one parent or the other, or relatives. Um, that's sort of the gamut. And Taruk, how did you all meet? How did you meet David Mutual and the family? Mutual friends. Um, I have and a how friend. long ago? Uh, just the beginning of this year, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I got invite in, invited uh, by my friend Coleco, and he knew my situation at that time. He knew I was going through some uh, rough times, yeah. And um, I, I received a call from him, and he was like, what are you what are you doing tomorrow and I was like mm, I don't know yet no I don't, I don't I don't think I have anything planned and he was like why don't you you why don't you come over for dinner and yeah that's that's how it started so the next day I came over and um immediately when I walked in I just felt the warmth the warmth and the, and and the love and um everybody was just so kind <laughs> it was awesome you also have to picture you know a relatively small house with 25 yes, people yes. and Kathy and I racing around trying to like get dinner on the table and mm-hmm. there's conversations happening in every corner of the house there's loud music playing there's probably somebody playing something on the piano mm-hmm. it's just like this really incredibly wonderfully chaotic chaotic in the best sense of the word um, atmosphere which you know Coleco he described the first time he came to dinner mm-hmm. as he, he was very disturbed by it at first, because he because he's like there's something you only see in movies. Yeah, and he, he exactly. didn't know what to, he too didn't chaotic. Know what to, it, was, exactly. it was like too good to be true too in a way. Yeah. Anyway, it didn't it was, mean there. It was really nice. It was really nice. And uh, I I didn't graduate high school. I was I was never really good in school, and there was a lot happening in my life at that time in high school, and I couldn't I couldn't really finish. And then I remember I remember Kathy asking me, "Do you have you ever thought about going back to school?" And I was like, "Um." Mm, I I don't know I not really but you know now I'm like taking I'm, I want to take classes I'm going to take classes um uh, art classes in Corcoran for fall um and I'm very excited for that uh like I said earlier they make all things possible and um I thought I I just I didn't I didn't know that I would be here right now like I didn't it's it's crazy. <laughs> um, Ashley Koff, you really believe and you've been an advocate and a champion for the fact that um, food and healthy food and nutrition can change your life. And one of the things that I feel like these conversations are so interesting for me because as I think about them in advance, I think, okay, here's some very different people. You're a registered dietitian. You've written several books. You have clients. You have a kind of a private practice. Uh, David comes out of a little bit more of a political background and is now started this organization? What do they have in common? But one of the things that really strikes me is you're both very involved in empowering people to make change. You, you, you know, you can change your own life. You can change a community by yourself. You don't have to run for office. You don't have to be a philanthropic billionaire to create really tangible change. Talk to us about 
how you do it, how you got into it. Yeah. Although these days I'm more and more, and I'm not saying this is like, hey, this is my introduction to running for office, but I'm more and more intrigued by the notion of what can those of us uh, do that maybe have been in business or been in, in other areas uh, at the political level and, and really looking at the local level? Because I think our communities need our support, um, which is what we're hearing here. So how I got into all of this, I'm the daughter of a uh, pediatric urologist. So I grew up in the world of medicine uh, in Columbus, Ohio. My dad was a pretty interesting, I worked in his office and was a pretty interesting, still is, uh, man. And But as a surgeon, it used to drive a lot of his uh, partners a little bit crazy because he would uh, prefer to not operate on kids. And he would often say to me, you know, if kids had better resources, if they were healthier, younger, I wouldn't have to do as many of the operations. Um, and I also saw firsthand how some people couldn't afford to pay. So we were lucky enough to get these beautiful quilts, like from people, you know, in West Virginia and, and um, around us. And, you know, just seeing him, first of all, empowered to give the ki- the kind of medicine that he wanted to be able to offer, but also recognizing the limitations um, in the medical space, uh, certainly are things I think about today. I did not think about them at all at that time. I had no interest in medicine. I wanted to be Angela Bauer uh, from Who's the Boss? If any of us remember that TV <laughs> show, I thought she was uh, absolutely perfect. Uh, you know, she was tall. She was blonde. She went to an advertising agency every day and worked and came home to, like, you know, hunky Tony Danza and, like, you know, who was taking care of her kid. You know, I was like this. Even when she fought with her mom, it was, like, entertaining, right? So um, I had the advertising gene pretty uh, pretty uh, intensely. And I, interestingly, to I came to find out from my grandfather as well. Um, and I went on after college to work in advertising. Uh, I, um, Kellogg's was my client. De Beers was my client. Clairol was my client at a large uh, global ad agency in New York. And I learned a lot about what we were selling people on in America um, and how we were selling them. And I loved selling, and I thought it was just amazing what we could sell. But then when I started to have, um, in particular in the food space, it was a real conflict. I was trying to work on, uh, I had been healthy as a, as a young uh, person, but really had struggled with uh, my, what I came to learn was my digestion. I saw it more externally as like a belly and, you know, why, why wasn't, why didn't things work out for me uh, that, you know, from a nutrition or a diet standpoint. And when I learned it was my digestion, uh, I started to do things, everything from yoga to uh, learning to eat better to um, exploring integrative medicine. Uh, for me, the personal experience of, one, being really interested in my own nutrition and healing, and then, two, having this marketing background and realizing that we could help people make better decisions with better messages. Um, and I think that's what so many of your organizations are doing today. But one place that I think we haven't gotten to that we're at right now, um, I'm excited that with the work that all of you guys are doing and with a lot of the right political support, because I do think there are a lot of really great leaders out there today pushing for uh, better health and better nutrition and better access to that. Um, We need to now learn that hunger is a health issue, that access to food is not about access to any calories. It has to be about access to better calories, because for the people that don't have, for any of us at any point in our lives, that don't have access to consistent uh, food, when we do have access, we need to make sure that it's better quality because we know that that impacts disease. Taruk, as a 23-year-old, how conscious of you you have food choices that you make? Like my children are much more conscious than Mm -hmm. I ever was. Very. (laughs) I pay attention to my body, and um, I like to feel good. When, uh, you know, after I eat or like if I'm eating too much greasy food and junk food, I feel really bad, really guilty. Okay. So, so you, yes, I'm, I'm very conscious. 
Um, and at the um, meals and at the uh, Simpsons house, mm-hmm. um, I'm assuming there's a lot of diversity in terms of the other young people that it's are there. It's awesome because they, they care about people that are vegetarian, so they make vegetarian food. Yeah. And, like They have salad, chicken, and like black black rice, and a lot of good 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 food. Well, the New York Times columnist David Brooks wrote a great column about uh, all our kids, and uh, one of the passages here, which I think sums up exactly what we're talking about, he writes, the kids call Kathy and David, Mama and Dad, are unfailingly polite, clear the dishes, turn toward one another's love like plants toward the sun. I just love that line. Turn towards one another's love like plants toward the sun and burst with big, glowing personalities. So, A lot of big, lot of big glowing personalities, for sure. For sure. And when did you make the decision, David, you and Kathy, to kind of pivot from something that started out kind of informally to now there's a, a nonprofit, there's a kind of a strategic plan, I think, to grow yeah. this nationally. How did that come about for you? Well, like, what was your thinking? You had a job and a life and, you know, <laughs> uh, other, lots of other responsibilities. We did, we did, we did and do. I mean, we, uh, it, one of the main things that we try to do for these young people is to convince them of their own potential is to sort of unwind a lot of negative conditioning that they've received over the course of their whole lives to convince them that they have great potential and have a lot to offer the world, whatever that looks like. And so we would, you know, challenge our kids to shoot for the stars, you know, aim high, you know, apply to college and, you know, go for your dreams. And they started taking us up on it, you know, and they would come to us. It was like, I got into Hampshire and I got into, you know, the University of the Arts in Philadelphia. And, And Kathy and I were like, damn, now we got to pay for it. So, you know, and we're, you know, we don't have a ton of money. So friends of ours for a long time had encouraged us to start a nonprofit so that, you know, when we did go to them, which we shamelessly regularly did and asked them for help, they could at least get a tax break. So we finally decided we were on the beach last summer and we had long conversations and we finally decided that we should bite the bullet and do it so that we could keep our promises to these kids. And we flipped a coin and I won, so I quit my job. So you quit your job. You're raising money now. Raising uh, money. People can go to the, the – you have a relatively new website, <clears throat> yes. All Our Kids. Um, www.aokdc.org. Um, yes, you can give money, and we gratefully appreciate anything that anybody can, can send our way because we have all these incredible kids who deserve to feel loved and valued. And if we can help them become successful, happy adults – um, who are contributing members of our communities? Why would we not? We we feel like th- this is an obligation that we you know embrace, um, and to the degree that anyone can help us do that, we're we're grateful. It strikes me there's so many similarities. You talk about the failure mindset, and as somebody who's been so I've been a practitioner for almost 20 years, and you know, regardless of access to food or where somebody is at in their life, that we see so many people that just feel that they're failing. You know, we have a huge o- obesity epidemic. Right. Um, yeah. And, you know, part of the, what I think is so important for us to be out there with is to, in what you're doing and at a community level, to be communicating, redundancy there, um, but to be communicating that um, you are not a failure if what you have been doing hasn't worked, uh, especially for a lot of people that I see, they've been on several different diets, um, you know, followed advice like to the T. And it's really weird. You know, if we had a car that we got into and the car just didn't work, the car would be what we call a lemon, and there are laws around that, right? And you return the car, and we're done on that part. Um, but a lot of us are owning that lemon. Like, we're seeing ourselves as the failure. So, you know, the diet didn't work for us, or the schooling didn't work for us. Right. And, 
you know, I think what we're learning today so much is that um, that failure mentality is really what is what needs to be addressed at the core. Um, one of the things I think is so great about being able to bring people to the table and have different food experiences is for people to be able to interact with, as you were talking about, Tarouk, how they feel physically. Um, because I have so many people that just have not felt healthy. So if I say to you, you know, eat a cucumber, it's a, it's healthy for you. There's no, in your mind, there's no connection to what that healthy feeling is right. because I haven't, since I haven't experienced that. And often in the beginning, I don't know, you know, about for you, but in the beginning, it isn't something that necessarily feels comfortable because healthy is something that um, you haven't felt before. So it's a, it's a new experience. And so you know, I think there's there's a lot of work that we have to do on behalf of um, the healthcare practitioners out there. I own and, and apologize. I mean, we have been teaching Americans, marketing yep. Americans, really bad nutrition advice. It does not align with what the body needs, you know, physiologically. Mm-hmm. When we tell someone, you know, hey, most women should have 1,200 calories. Like, where did we come up with this stuff? You know, or one of my favorites right now is, you know, this notion that Everybody should be having uh, anywhere from 1,000 or 1,500 milligrams of supplemental calcium. Like, so there is no, there's no, no basis evidence, for this. No there's, science. A, there's a basis that in France, at one point in time, there is a scientist who evaluated how much calcium a woman needs roughly in her diet, which is around 1,000 milligrams, uh, maybe upwards to 1,500, depending on life stage. And when phone tag happened and came over to the U.S., we interpret our doctors and our marketing, because if your marketing messages are to sell. So um, our supplement companies, and and they are the ones educating the doctors, unfortunately, on this, said across the board, everybody needs 1,000 or 1,500. What we see today is people getting actually too much calcium. And as a result, it creates arterial plaque. It doesn't go to bones, you know, Mm -hmm. unless you have all these other nutrients. And I digress down a path there just to explain how dangerous not having the right information, because here's someone, I have people all the time who are spending their hard-earned money on a calcium right, supplement right. Uh, where and they could be cheap. getting it from food. Right. They're not cheap. And oh, by the way, you know what is really cheap are, you know, being able to get in beans and grains and, you know, when you can get in greens and, you know, those kinds of things um, that will give you your calcium, almonds, you know, there are plenty of things, sesame seeds I was talking about. But we, uh, you know, how badly does a woman feel if she's been, or a man, if they've been doing that and they go in and then the doctor says, well, yeah, you still have, you know, osteoporosis or you still have this. And it's just, we are consistently setting people up for failure in the health care space um, as well as in other aspects right, of their I would lives. say that we're setting up people for fail- to feel to that feel they are failures. They, they are the failure. On all levels, emotional, yeah. nutritional, financial. I mean, where, where the system is set up to right. sell them a bill of goods that's not meeting their needs, whether right. it's education or nutrition, yeah, or, you know, job skills, how the, how people deal with money. I mean, uh, across the board, yeah, people are sold bills of goods. And one of the things we've heard over and over on this podcast and yeah. conversations with chefs like Bill Telepan in New mm-hmm. York or Seamus Mullen, who was a chef in New York and also a, a chef cycle bike rider, mm. is uh, at a certain point as they had some health issues, either mm-hmm. for themselves mm-hmm. or their family, they changed the way they were eating. And then they had kind of an, a light bulb went off and they were like, wait a second. Why am I still? I'm, I'm like, feeding people, you know, in the front of the restaurant mm-hmm. different than I'm feeding myself in the back and I've got to change that. Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. but, but again, I think it's an example of, you know, if we're, if we take the time as consumers mm-hmm. to be educated and make really conscientious choices, if we're really intentional and purposeful about the choices we make, ultimately that can affect 
the way these companies well, you're, work. You're looking at the demand side, right? Mm-hmm. And, right. And what I've and Truk, you could probably talk a little bit about this. You know, what I've noticed over and over and over again amongst the young people that come to our table is a self-motivated, critical attitude about what they put into their bodies. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, there, we have a number of vegans that come to the table, which is kind of a pain for cooking. But you know, we no, I'm just kidding. But um, have you tried you know, hemp seeds? They're my favorite <clears throat> vegan tool. Cannot say that. I don't. We have. Oh, yeah. let me. Okay, so we're going to talk after. Okay. I'm going to yeah. get you hemp, hemp seeds, seeds are in. coming seeds to the are, table. Hemp seeds are in. They're a complete great. source of protein, all your essential fatty acids, iron, magnesium, et cetera. And they're super easy. You can toss them onto anything. So I call them the wild salmon of the plant kingdom. So hmm. we are going to bring them to your <laughs> table. That. Absolutely. That's, a, that's, yeah. your, that's your marketing. Yeah, background. there you go. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Oops. Yeah. yeah. But like, but our kids are, you know, they are driving us to think about what we what we provide to the kid to everyone who comes to our table in in a in a healthier way right I mean yes I started being like more conscious about what I put in my body because two years ago um I had like chest pains um and I remember my diet was very different I was I was like consuming more like uh sugar and Mm -hmm. caffeine and like a lot of I didn't care about my body and when I had started like changing my my diet and um like exercising more and just thinking more positive, um, I felt better and my chest pain started going mm-hmm. away. And yeah, ever since then, I just been like really aware and just True. being. And careful. you're not the only one. I mean, there's a there's a ton of. That's so amazing yeah. too, right? To create um, communities and have your friendship group and the people that that you see more often be the ones that that also feel this way. It's easier to eat healthier when yes. you're right when you're mm-hmm. at the table right. with other people who and by the way, it's sometimes we shouldn't even use the word healthier. I like to use the word better because mm-hmm. healthy just sounds not tasty. <laughs> and the number one rule of better nutrition is it better be delicious. Better or be we delicious. are going to find something that will be <laughs> David, tell us how many kids you've touched so far. How do you keep count? What's so the, much. just the, what's the what do you think the number so is? Much. It's a lot people of kids. People that don't come to the dinner table that just hear about AOK. Yeah, that's true. They touch and they we have direct interactions with um, on a regular, varyingly regular basis of, with about thirty kids. Mm. Um, you know, eleven of them are in college or pursuing some sort of educational path right now, um, and we're working with them to help them identify their dreams, what they are, because you know they've been discouraged from even having dreams, having dreams. for their whole lives. Um, and we, and what again, one of our biggest jobs is help helping to convince them that they deserve to have a dream. Since we could, since you could only bring one of them today, Taruk, and we were very fortunate mm-hmm. that you did. Um, also tell us about somebody else that would be kind of representative of the kids that you, and you don't have to use their name if it's yeah, not appropriate. One, one young man who lives with us um, <clears throat> has, a, has experienced a lot of um, a, a very difficult background. He's got a huge heart. He, before he came to live with us, he he w- took care of his grandmother, who has subsequently died from cancer, and he had to move. He moved in with us because when she died, there was no place for him to stay, and he had never any any hope for you know any kind of educational, um, any kind of educational experience. Smart kid, very creative, and How has, old? has he's twenty, twenty. Mm-hmm. And he's always loved to cut hair, mm. and we and so he decided that he wanted to be a barber. And so we, he, I helped him do research, and he found the school that he wanted to go to, and we applied and got in. And now he's halfway through a intensive barber program, and he gets up at seven o'clock every morning, and he's on the subway by or on the bus by eight, and he's there is a forty hour a week program.
So in one way it's simple, but in another way it's very complicated. It's simple in the sense of like any parent, you like we will do anything That's we right. have to do to make sure that our right. kid gets what he or she wants. I've got three kids and you know, I don't know how any kid who doesn't have a parent advocating for them navigates any of the systems, it's whether it's the school system or the healthcare system. It's like my wife and I are if one of us is at that school, it feels like every other right. day. I'm sure it's not that that much, but like, you know, Nate was treated unfairly in math class or Nate didn't get <laughs> right. the right teacher or tutor or whatever. Kathy so, describes it as, as getting a kid to Mars. I mean it's it's yeah, about that yeah, complicated. But, but it's but it's complicated and that right it's it's simple in one sense, but in another sense it's extremely complicated. It's very I mean raising kids is a complicated endeavor. And when you have a bunch of young people um, in in your life that you are committed to like you would be to your own kids uh, and the other adults in our community are equally committed to them uh, which which is a, a incredible um, they come from backgrounds which you know a lot of them have trust issues and a lot of them ha- have trouble believing adults when they tell them that they love them because their experience has been such that that's a reasonable conclusion to come to. So, so and as a result of that, are there kids for whom this has not worked? Uh, are there, are there, or have you just like like anybody in life? Have you struck out a few times? Kids, or? kids and adults. Yes, I yeah. mean they, they'll they'll come to us and they hang around for a while and then they're they're not a good fit. They don't they're not ready. Again, regardless of age, for the commitment that that the the presumptive commitment that that we ask, which is you know to be your best self, to be striving to a constantly better self version of yourself like I do every day, like Tarouk does every day, and many and everyone else who sticks around. And some, some of us are not just ready not ready at that point in our in their lives. And so, so they and, just drift away. You just have to let them go. Yeah. Tarouk, did it work for you right away? You knew oh, right away that it was going to work? Most definitely. I can say that <clears throat> like before I, uh, I met Kathy and David, my confidence level was so low. Like I didn't believe in myself. I had a dream, but I didn't have any like, you know, I didn't have a, path or like the resources and like they just they, they they make anything possible and they're just like the best support system ever and I'm so I'm truly grateful for them and I would only add I would only add that the that the young people at the table provide an incredible incredibly powerful peer support network too and when all of them see each other striving to be their better selves they are challenged to do the same yes uh, and same with the adults, you know, because the adults are offered the same opportunity to be better versions of themselves every mm-hmm. time they come to the table. So, David and Ashley, tell me what you're both going to do next to reach a larger audience with the very powerful impact that you're having. How do you think about that? You've both kind of got a secret sauce in a sense, something that's very valuable, changing people's lives. Uh, but there's always gating factors. There's only 24 hours a day and so forth. How are you thinking about Ashley, what you're going to do next to reach more people with your message, and David, organizationally, what you're going to do next. Well, I would love to talk to David more about figuring out how we can make more tables like this across the country, because I think it's it's the conversations that we need to have happen, and I think having them happen over food, uh, uh, not maybe everybody being able to take it to the level that you're taking it to, but I, I love this notion. So I think that's one that's one thing. At this time, uh, in my life, so I'm, I'll be 44 in, in September, and it's thinking about, um, it's not so much a legacy conversation, but it's a conversation about what I know needs to happen in the country. Uh, if we don't have, if we continue to make health uh, and access to better health and better nutrition a political issue, 
we will fail as a country because we do need a country of individuals mm -hmm. who are all better at what they choose to do. We need the artists. We need the um, both of you guys, you know, bringing bringing uh, better health to, to people. And so I'm not uh, to be honest, I'm not sure. I think that um, I will continue to do the work that I'm doing by way of my uh, online membership and and being, uh, you know, whether it's a consultant or a, um, a spokesperson in, in sort of the food, nutrition and health space. But I may take take a political turn. So you, you never know. Well, I might be coming to you guys for I that say, part. I, I noticed <laughs> yesterday one of your I didn't know if it was political or just a really smart way of kind of intersecting with current events. But yes. yesterday, I think you had a tweet as Attorney General Sessions was yes. testifying yeah. and constantly uh, referring to his inability to recollect and to recall yeah. what happened. And Ashley <laughs> tweeted, uh, speaking to the Attorney General, Dear Sessions, better memory begins with better nutrition, like omegas from wild salmon hemp seeds. Happy to help you with the menu, that's sir. Right. So um, that's, that's our message to the Attorney General it is. here on Ad Passion and Stir. And, you know, I, do, I have the privilege of having clients um, I, all throughout the, you know, our, um, the th because I live here in D.C., people who are at sort of all different levels um, and and uh, I have had the experience of working with someone who I, his political views and policies he was voting for actually, I can say, um, made me feel unsafe and I might even go so far as to say repulsed me. However, when the individual was in my office, I also was able to understand that his digestion was totally off. Um, his blood sugar uh, would spike high and low. And I'm like, you know, I can't sit still and process what I should vote on or not vote on, if, you know, in that space. Yeah. And so um, at least through stabilizing that, and now he carries around a little baggie or container, because I don't like the plastic bags, of uh, a better trail mix with some hemp seeds in there. And I just have to hope that, you know, at minimum he's going to the bathroom more regularly and that the blood sugar is a little more stable. Yeah. And so maybe, you know, instead of voting so... Um, emotionally uh, or or so set in you know somebody asked me once if I was a lobbyist and I said I'm sort of a backdoor lobbyist by helping people if they if our representatives get healthier and have their better health then I think they can uh, at least um, maybe feel as you were talking about Tarouk physically better in themselves and as yes. a result mm -hmm. um, open their eyes to how they can vote better one of the things I always keep in mind and I I, I cannot quote Plato extensively but the mm. one thing Plato <laughs> said that I've remembered is be kind because everybody you meet is fighting a hard battle mm -hmm. and it's true you're it's right true. you never know you whether never it's know. Taruk or whether it's this person you're talking about I mean all of us at some point are fighting a hard my, battle my niece I was telling about turn, turn 10 today and she, last night she said you know Ann Ashley Double digits. It's just, <laughs> it's exhausting. I was like, so I was like, keep in mind you're nine for a few more hours. I got on the phone with my brother and I was like, what are we going to do with this one? But, you know, it is exhausting and whatever. And, and I, I will say there's real value in that. And Taruk, I think it's just amazing for people to be able to hear from you today because I don't, I didn't feel that level of exhaustion. I, I may have felt growing up like I had hard, you know, some hard times or, you know, you, you have your, right. your things as kids, but um, our kids today are really stressed out and they're not feeling safe and they're um, not having access to, and security from a food standpoint. And we need to change that. Um, mm -hmm. So I think I'm just so grateful to meet and connect with all of you guys. Likewise, David, what's next for you? Likewise, and uh, you, you kind of stole my line in terms mm -hmm. of like growing the number of dinners because mm -hmm. that's sort of the ultimate way that we, not the ultimate, that's one way that we would like to expand what we do to, to, be, to, be, to give access to what we do to more people. I see growth for AOK in kind of two 
directions. One is here in D.C., because of the demographic of the young people who can, can constitute our community, they are mostly artists. Um, mm -hmm. And there are many more resources that they lack in addition to healthy food, mm -hmm. such as affordable performance and workspace and you know digital software, the software and the equipment and, and so mm -hmm. on and so forth. So w at some point we would like to open a facility in which we provide affordable resources and education and everything that young artists need. So, you know, the same kind of spirit and the same doing the same thing, but with more stuff um, that they need. Cause I think of Thursday night dinner as kind of a, a pot of honey that, you know, that attracts the, that attracts the kids. There are other pots of honey that they would, fl that would, they would come to um, in a second if they were available and they're not available mm -hmm. in, in the district and it's incredible because there is such a vibrant youth art scene that they're that they're scrambling for resources uh, so that's one thing the other thing is you know we've noticed that tremendous amount of people have reached out to us uh, mostly subsequent to, to David Brooks's column saying how can I do this uh, in my own community I think there's a tremendous hunger for so to speak for diverse community mm -hmm. in which we can get outside of our bubbles and um, connect with people who aren't like us. Um, and Thursday Night Dinner is, is a really concrete, human-scale way that we can do that. Um, if you have a dining room table, it doesn't have to be 25 people. It can be like four people. So, and, so we're you know, our plan is to develop resources to help uh, people in other communities do something similar to what we do. In, so you can give them the kind of the roadmap right. to It's like to a, follow. a toolkit. One of the things we always talk about at Share Strength, everybody has a strength to share. What you're doing is something mm -hmm. everybody can do. Everybody eats. There's no right. barriers. Right. I want to thank both of you, David Simpson and Ashley Koff, for being with us. And Taruk, um, Taruk, if we wanted to have uh, an original Taruk painting in the Ad Passion and Stir studio or at Share Strength headquarters, would we be able to afford it? Have you have you priced yes, them? I work with you. You work with us. <laughs> you work Yes. Yes. Okay. All right. <laughs> so we're going to have to get. I guess we'll, we'll start by we'll start by looking at your website, right? Yes. Okay. Awesome. I feel like we have to have one of those, That's and I great. hope some of our listeners will too. Get closer to the problems that you care about. There's a famous photographer named Robert Kappa who once said, "If your pictures are not good enough, you're not close enough." Well, in the social change space, getting close, bearing witness, going into the community working with people directly, getting an understanding of what they need, that's often the precursor to really powerful transformational change. Don't just post, don't just preach, get your hands dirty and get involved. Add Passion and Stir is distributed by District Productive. Our senior producer is Carrie Thompson. Our executive producer is Peter Ogburn. Add Passion and Stir is the creation of Billy Shore, Debbie Shore, and Paul Woody Woodhall. I'm Billy Shore. You're listening to Add Passion and Stir from Share Our Strength.